heard that. So hey, just want to welcome everybody who's joining us for our live stream. It's one part of our service here at Chelsea Community Church with City Temple. You can be part of the whole thing by dropping us an email, or you can come and visit us in person. Uh, today we're going to look at John chapter 20. John chapter 20, and we're going to read the whole thing. So if you want to turn with me in your Bibles... John chapter 20. Before we read, let's pray. Gracious God, thank you so much for the Bible. I thank you that it is a faithful record of the life and times of Jesus Christ and your church in those early days. I pray, Lord God, that by your spirit, you'd speak to our hearts through it. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would rest on me, that I can proclaim your word to your people this day through Jesus Christ our Lord. We just command everything that would uh, lead us astray or deceive us or distract us to be silent now because we want to hear you and your word to the glory and honor of our risen Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they've laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, that was John, by the way, and they were, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but John was outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I, I don't know where they've laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. She said to her, Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors were being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. 
Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands and the mark of the, in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, the disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That means us. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. Well, it's the time of year when people like to do surveys, and they've just, uh, I just was reading about a recent survey around uh, about Easter, as it's called in the, in the secular world. I prefer Resurrection Sunday because it's more descriptive of what actually happened and doesn't involve any bunnies. You know, no, and by the way, it's important to note that no bunnies were harmed in the production of this sermon. Uh, so anyway, uh, so they did, a, uh, they did some research, they did a survey, and they discovered that one in 10, 10% of Britons believe that Easter eggs are more important than the resurrection for Easter. Kind of interesting, eh? You know? At least it was only 10%, right? That's not too bad. You know, that's about the, a little more than, you know, that are Jedi Knights and that kind of thing as, in terms of their religion. But they asked a few other things. Uh, and by the way, I, I think this means that we're really moving away from Easter as a celebration of the resurrection to Easter as a celebration of chocolate, which I like chocolate, so I'm, I'm not uh, entirely opposed, I guess. But anyway... Uh, in the same survey, they discovered that 43% of Britons believe that the biblical accounts of the resurrection are a myth. 43% believe it's not true. 25% of Christians said the same thing. 25% of people who self-identify as Christians say it was a myth. Only 36% of Christians believe the Bible is entirely accurate when it comes to the resurrection story. Less than 4 out of 10. Only 25%, oh, 
uh, 36% of, as well of Christians do not think they have a thorough understanding of what Christianity claims about Jesus. That's why I thought our kids today were awesome. They were awesome. They know it. They got the story. It's so good. Only 25% of people believe the biblical account of the resurrection to be accurate. And interestingly, 51% of the people don't feel like they, have, they understand what the gospel is. They understand what Christianity is all about. And these surveys, and it's not just this one, it's a multitude of surveys, not a multitude, but quite a few surveys have come out, continually suggest that people would take the gospel more seriously if Christians were clear about what they believe and why. Those people you work with, those people you talk to on a daily basis. Many people have opinions about Jesus, but what Jesus said about Jesus is what really matters. That's been the whole point of the last eight weeks together. It's Jesus according to Jesus. But frankly, Jesus' opinion only has relevance if it's valid. I could go to my grave believing that I'm the king of England, but unless I show you a few horse-drawn carriages and maybe a few soldiers standing to attention, you are right not to believe what I say, no matter how convinced I am of its truth. And the same is true with Jesus. Jesus' opinion is only relevant if it's valid. But Jesus validated, as we've seen, his statements about himself with many signs and ultimately with the resurrection. And if the resurrection is true, if what Jesus has said about himself is true, it demands a response from us. You can't just sit on the fence. You can't just say, well, it doesn't matter. Because if you say it just doesn't matter, then you really clearly don't understand what it says. And if you don't want to accept what it says, then you'll just walk away. You can't really sit on the fence. So as we've done each one of these Sundays, we look, what did Jesus say about himself? And over the last number of weeks, we've seen Jesus make several claims about himself. These claims are unique and indisputable. In other words, you can't say, well, Jesus didn't really say that. Jesus really didn't claim that. Somebody else put that in his mouth. What did he say? He said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the true vine. I am God. I and the Father are one. These claims form the heart of a genuinely Christian understanding of Jesus. If you have any other understanding of Jesus than the one based on these claims, your understanding is incorrect. Your understanding is a fantasy. It doesn't really exist. These are the heart of the good news message. These are the heart of the gospel. These are the heart of what we're all about as Christians. Unless these are true, these are not the claims of somebody who is a good teacher, a prophet of God, a good person, a faithful Jew, or even a sane human being. 
If I go around and say, I'm the resurrection and the life, you're going to say, that guy's crazy. And so if Jesus was wrong about these things that he said about himself, you can't trust him on anything else. But Jesus, if he's right about these things, then you dare not trust anyone else. If Jesus was not, if these are not true, Jesus is either mentally unstable or a charlatan and a con man. But not too many charlatans or con men die on the cross. Now Jesus made one further claim, a claim in addition to all of these claims that are very important for us today, a claim that is highly testable and would be considered absolute evidence for all these other all these other claims. His claim, I will rise from the dead. As he said to his disciples in Mark chapter 9, he's teaching them, he says, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. Now that's a pretty testable claim. And so what did Jesus do? to show that he could make all these claims? What did Jesus do to prove that final claim? He rose from the dead, just like he said he would. He rose from the dead. You know the story. The kids told the story brilliantly. Jesus dies on the cross. He's betrayed into the hands of men. He dies in our place, taking the penalty for our sins. He's put into a tomb. The stone is rolled over. There's guards posted at the tomb so that nobody could steal Jesus so that nobody could fake it. Jesus is really dead, by the way, because people know death in those days. It's not like today when somebody, it looks like somebody dies and then suddenly an undertaker comes and takes them off and then prepares them and you see them again and like, oh, wow, they look like a live person lying in the casket. It wasn't how it worked back then. People knew death. They knew when somebody was dead. You can't fake that. You don't masquerade it. He was really dead. He was really put into the tomb. And they didn't put the spices or anything because he died on the Sabbath day. And they didn't want to be unclean for the celebration of the Passover. So it happens on the third day. The angels come, roll away the tomb. The soldiers go in, ah! And they run away. And uh, the Pharisees fix it with the Roman authorities so they're not all killed because normally that's exactly what would happen. And then all of a sudden, Mary is there. She comes, uh, a couple other women, they come looking to to put some spices and things on Jesus. All of a sudden, they see the stone roll away, and he's not there. And it's like, what's going on? So she runs and she tells uh, Peter and John. They run to the tomb. They look inside. You know, John says, gosh, something's happened here. I really believe he's not here. Something has happened. He doesn't know what yet. But something has happened. And you know, as it goes on, then Mary hangs around and she's looking out and everything. And she looks inside. And I kind of laugh at Mary because remember, this is the time before you had TV and, you know, angel depictions on television and special effects and that kind of thing. So, you know, what is she thinking? She looks in the tomb and she sees two angels there that she hadn't seen go into the tomb. And she just keeps crying. I mean, I would hope 
that if I just, you know, happened to open up a, a casket and see two angels there, I'd say, hmm, something's happening here. You know, but she doesn't. Uh, she, uh, and so then she turns around and, and Jesus comes to her and says, hey, you know, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And, and she's like, well, they've taken my Lord. You know, and finally Jesus, I almost think he's probably laughing by that stage. You know, because Jesus had a sense of humor. He's kind of chuckling. And he says, Mary. And she's going, oi, vey, Rabboni. And, uh, and he just said, don't cling to me. And, and so on and so forth. We read the story. You've seen the story. You've seen what happened there. You know the story. But the question is, is the story true? That's really a valid question. And it's a question that we should be asking. Is this story true? Now the question is, if you use honest forms of historical inquiry, like you could say, well, prove it. Prove it scientifically. Well, you can't do that. But neither can you prove that Abraham Lincoln was alive. Neither can you prove uh, in King Charles I. You know, you can't prove these things historically using the scientific method. You have to use the methods of investigation that historians have used throughout history to try to discern if something is true or not. And if you will use honest forms of historical inquiry the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most established historical event of its time. There is no event of that time that you can trust more on a historical basis than the resurrection, the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let me give you some examples. Eyewitness testimony. You know, if I had three or four people come to me and said, say the same largely the same thing. Hey, I witnessed uh, something amazing happen. I'll start saying, wow, okay, that, that probably happened, right? Well, in the case of Jesus, there were seven individuals who saw the resurrected Jesus. That was Mary, Peter, James, Paul, Stephen, Ananias, the one who baptized uh, Paul, and John, the one who wrote the gospel. There were nine different groups of people who saw the resurrected Jesus, including, but not limited to, the disciples. I'm not going to mention all of those. Just read the text again. That means that there were 16 documented appearances. Now, there might have been others, but there were 16 documented appearances to more than 650 people. That's a pretty good number. There are very few, if any, scholars. I haven't found any reputable scholars that dispute the truthfulness or the veracity of these eyewitnesses. There's nobody that says they were lying. There's nobody that says they were deceived. They might say that what they saw was a ghost or something like that, but they don't dispute the testimony of the eyewitnesses. And there are no eyewitness accounts of those who dispute the resurrection. There's no recorded eyewitness now you might say, well, that's a long time ago. Yes, it was a long time ago, but you better believe if there was some upstart Jewish sect that was claiming that their Messiah, the guy they followed, had risen bodily from the dead after dying on the cross, you better believe if somebody had said, no, that's not the case, his body was still there, they're going to write about it. 
That doesn't happen. That doesn't happen. There are six separate, well-attested historical documents within a generation of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, uh, uh, Acts, and 1 Corinthians. And these documents are within a generation of Jesus that they were written. Now, to compare, the earliest manuscripts of Virgil and Horace, who also lived within a generation of Jesus, which scholars accept are accurate, the earliest manuscripts are 400 years after they died. 400 years. The copy of works by Livy and Tacitus on Roman history and Pliny Segundus on natural history, again, documents which scholars accept as historically accurate. The earliest copies are 500 years after the original account. Five centuries. The teachings of the Buddha, because we like the Buddha. Buddha is apparently very popular today. You know, the Buddha is not my buddy, but uh, I like saying that. Uh, the, the teachings of the Buddha were written down about 400 years after he died. 400 years. Four centuries. Now, when you look at textual evidence, and that's the number of manuscripts that you have that's dated uh, around the time of the documents you're looking at. Textual evidence. The textual evidence for the New Testament uh, is in excess of 25,000 manuscripts. 25,000. That sounds pretty impressive, but you might think, well, that's probably the case with everybody. Well, let's look at the, the next closest to the New Testament is Homer's Iliad. Homer's Iliad, and there are 1,800 documents, copies, uh, textual evidences of Homer's manuscripts from Homer's Iliad. So there's more than 10 times as many more from the New Testament. That's pretty powerful historical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. But let's take it a step further. Jesus said all kinds of crazy things, didn't he? All kinds of crazy things. Like he said, this gospel of the kingdom would be preached in all nations. Surely he meant like Rome and, and Spain. And, but where's it gone? It's gone all around the globe. He said the apostles would be eyewitnesses, eyewitnesses to the ends of the earth. Thomas went to India. All of them were dispersed around the globe. He said that. He said that. He also said his words would never pass away. Well, they're still there. He also said his church would be indestructible. And although many have tried, they all have failed to destroy the church of Jesus Christ, just like Jesus said. But for fear of sounding like an infomercial at 3 a.m. in the morning, but there's more. There's more. Think about dreams and visions. Today, people around the world are coming to faith, uh, particularly Muslims, 
through dreams and visions of Jesus Christ. Now, the dreams and visions themselves don't validate the New Testament, right? You know, we want to be historical there. So we start with the historical evidence, which we've just looked at. But now we'll take it a step further. Look at these dreams and visions. Uh, it's one of the primary ways that many Muslims are coming to faith in Christ today. People around the world are having these dreams and visions. I remember another story, a true story, uh, not dealing with Muslims, told to me by a friend who was the son-in-law of a missionary who went to, <coughs> excuse me, went to a very isolated island, I believe it was in Indonesia, uh, many, many decades ago. So this would be the 50s or 60s. And this guy went on an island that had never seen a light-skinned person. They'd never visited before. He walked into the village carrying his Bible. And immediately the two brothers who were co-chiefs of the village came and said, teach us. He was expecting hostility. And he told him the gospel and the whole village, starting with the two brothers who were the co-chieftains, the whole village turned to faith in Jesus Christ. That's pretty extraordinary. What happened? Years earlier, their father, who had since got, had died, and I believe probably is with Jesus, their father had a vision. And in this vision, a light-skinned man would walk in with something bound in leather, leaves bound in leather. And the leaves bound in leather contained the truth about the God of the universe. And when this man came, the village was to listen and believe. And this man told his sons this story, and he, and he died. And years later, that happened. And the whole village turned to faith in Jesus Christ. It's amazing. And there's another question of this. Why aren't Christians having dreams or visions of Buddha, Krishna, or Muhammad? Others are having visions of Jesus. Why don't we get that report? Yeah, we get reports of Christians turning away from Jesus, but not because of dreams and visions. Jesus' extraordinary life today still holds sway over billions of people. He's the only human being worshipped by billions of people. He still captures the imagination and influences societies. The bodily resurrection of Jesus is real, it's historical, and the bodily resurrection of Jesus validates everything that Jesus said. It's the proof. It's the evidence. That's why today is so important. It's my favorite day of the year. Because when I doubt, when I struggle, when I question, when things get hard, and I go through all of those things myself, and I know most of you do too, when these things come up, you know what I do? I go back to what happened today. This means it's true. And if it's true, your life depends on it. Not only your life in this world, but your life in the next world. The scars of Jesus were the validation of his identity. It's how they knew Jesus died on the cross. But as we know, seeing is not necessarily believing, but the seeing is there for anybody 
who will open their eyes. Now, you may not like what's happened in church. You may not agree with what others have done in your life in the name of Jesus. But you know what really matters? Is Jesus who he said he is. And if he is, don't worry about all this other junk, but follow him. Follow him. And if he's not who he said he was, then go have a coffee on Sunday morning. But he is. He is. And he tells us that we need to respond. He requires our response. And to fail to respond is foolish. Either reject him or accept him. If it's true, then bet your life on it. If it's not true, then don't. But you need to respond. And you can't respond half-heartedly. You can't respond halfway. Jesus makes it clear that no halfway response is tolerable to him. Now, it's important for us to note real quickly, before we hear what Jesus says, to understand why some people just don't respond. They don't follow Jesus. They don't turn to him. Sometimes, as it states in the passage we read today, sometimes people simply do not understand the scripture that he should rise from the dead. That was Peter and, and, uh, and John. They just didn't understand. Jesus had told them, but they didn't understand it. What do we see in that survey? 51% of people in the United Kingdom don't understand what's in the Bible. They don't understand the message. They've never seen it. They've never considered it. And so if you don't understand, you can't respond. It's never been explained to them, and that's why we need to explain it when we have our opportunities. Another reason that people don't respond is they return to their homes too quickly. Again, that's Peter and John. Do you realize they missed Jesus? They missed the first resurrection appearance of Jesus simply because they looked and said, oh, wow, something special has happened, and then they just got back to life. How many people miss Jesus because they just get on with their life? They just go back to doing what they want to do. How many Christians miss God's will for their lives because they simply go home too quickly? They can't be bothered to show up. They can't be bothered to follow the Lord. They can't be bothered to make him the center of their lives. Now, some people... They miss Jesus because they focus too much on their own hopes, dreams, expectations, losses, whatever, when it comes to God and the Savior. They say they have an expectation for what Jesus is going to be like. Oh, he's going to tolerate everything. He's going to affirm me in my sin. Or he would never allow anybody to go to hell. Or uh, it's not really real. He's going to forgive our sins anyway, whether we follow him or not. You know, there's so many misconceptions, misunderstandings, missed ideas because people are just caught up in themselves. It's like Jesus said to Mary, why are you weeping? What are you focusing on? She was focusing on her loss, not what she was about to gain. She was focusing on her hopes and her dreams that were dashed to the ground with Jesus' crucifixion when actually it was the source of life. And a lot of people miss it because they don't know 
what they're really seeking. A lot of people think, well, they're seeking sex, or they're seeking prosperity, they're seeking money, they're, they're seeking a comfortable life, they're seeking a good job, they're seeking a nice home, they're seeking a nice marriage, they're seeking a nice bunch of kids, uh, and on and on and on, a nice holiday, all of these things. And, and a lot of these things, there's nothing wrong with them. But if that's what you're seeking, you'll never find Jesus. And Jesus is the key, not only to finding him, but finding life, the life that we're really seeking. But only when we fully surrender and commit ourselves to Jesus. I always think of that U2 song. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And so many people are like that. When Jesus is there, all the time to receive them. So what does Jesus require of us regarding this truth? First and foremost, he requires that we believe. We accept who he is, who he claimed to be, and we surrender to him. We have faith that he died on the cross for our sins. On the third day, he rose bodily from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and he's done all of that so that by God's grace, through faith in him, we might have life and have it eternally beginning right now. You have to believe. You have to have faith. And like all truth, it makes demands that you follow him. He said to the disciples, he said, do not disbelieve, but believe. And I take courage that he said, those who have not yet seen, that's us, are blessed. We get a special blessing out of this. Second thing I think Jesus would say to us, would require of us, is don't cling to your earthly Jesus. It's like he said to Mary, don't hold on to me. Don't hold on to those expectations. Don't hold on to those hopes and dreams. Don't hold on to what you want me to be, but accept me for who I really am. Embrace who I really am. And we have to accept, receive our new relationship with God through Jesus and Jesus alone. One of the things we often miss in this passage is that it's the first time he does this in the Gospel of John. He, he tells the disciples, he said, uh, he tells Mary, tell the disciples, I am going to my God and their God, to my father and their father. With the resurrection, there was a change in our relationship. There was a change in our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And we're called to share Jesus with other people. Just like Jesus said to Mary, go and tell. Go and tell. We've got to do that. We're called to do it. And we receive the Holy Spirit and the power of forgiveness because it's right there for us. Jesus says, believe. Accept me as who I said I was. Believe in what I've done. And follow me. Surrender your life to me. That is the demand. You know, I think a lot of Western Christianity has become stuck in worldly forms of Christianity. We're focused on the, the band. We're focused on the style of worship. We're focused on the entertainment value of the speaker. We're focused on the size, or whatever it is. These are all worldly. It's worldly junk. It really means absolutely nothing compared to the excellencies of Jesus Christ. We cling to our perceptions of Jesus, making Jesus in our own image, 
instead of believing in Jesus as who he said he was, the crucified, resurrected, and ascended Lord who is coming again. Please understand, the resurrection of Jesus is a challenge to your life. How are you living? How are you investing your life? Are you wasting it on other things? Because if, it, if you are, you will wake up one day and you will regret it. It's a challenge to how we live. His ascension into heaven means that not only is he our Savior, he is also our Lord. He is the one who is the living God. And so you need to ask yourself right now, do I believe? Have I surrendered my life to Jesus? Have I placed Jesus Christ as the focus of my life and the source of everything that is good and true in my life? If you have, then rejoice and reaffirm that commitment today. If you have not, now is the time to respond to Jesus as he commands. Because that's the only way to know the life that he has for us. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you so much for your word. Jesus, thank you that you were so clear and true about who you are. You were clear and true with the disciples. And you demonstrated time after time after time that we could trust you. Time after time after time that we could rely on you. Time after time after time that you would do everything you said you would do, including rise from the dead. And so, Jesus, we surrender ourselves to you. We surrender this church to you. We surrender our lives to you. It's all about you. It's all hinged on the truth of your resurrection, which we can see with open eyes that it is true. And we can believe, not with some faint hope or weak faith, but we can believe with confidence that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And thank you for that. Almighty God, as we come to you now in this moment, Lord Jesus, as we come, Spirit, as we come, I pray that you would join us at this table. Jesus, thank you for giving us the bread and the cup as a way to remember your death and your resurrection. Jesus, thank you for giving us this Lord's Supper, this communion, as a way to rejoice in your presence with us at this table right now. Jesus, thank you for giving us these tangible things, tangible bread, tangible uh, uh, juice, to know that truly the resurrection was tangible as well, real, true, reliable. We love you and we praise you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we ask that you come now and bless this bread and this cup that they might be for us truly the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, broken and shed on the cross. Use them to strengthen our faith. And let us go forth from this place confident in Jesus' resurrection and able with gentleness and respect 
to share the truth to all those people around us who have no clue that Jesus is alive. We love you and praise you and pray all this through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Maybe a